I'm Sean, one of the leaders here at Riverside, and I'd like to welcome you to another church online experience. And now over to part two of our new series, The Beautiful Collision. Hey everyone, so we've just started a brand new series called Beautiful Collision, which sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, right? Because the word collision um, inspires words of like two cars coming together and, and wreckage and chaos, and yet we're putting the word beautiful in front of it. Well, the Bible describes my life as a life heading for collision and for chaos, but then I encounter Jesus Christ in an incredible way. And yes, in some ways there is a wreckage because part of my selfish desires need to die. Part of my sinful tendencies need to die in order for Jesus to bring new life to it. And so this collision is beautiful as he reforms me and remakes me and puts me on a brand new path for life. And so that's why we're calling the series Beautiful Collision. And what the series is about is we're going to be looking at the cross from a number of different angles. You see, the cross is not a single simple thing. Rather, the cross is more like a beautiful diamond with multiple facets that every time you look at the diamond from a different direction, you see more of its beauty and you're more inspired and impassioned by what you're seeing. And in the same way that the biblical authors don't speak about the Bible in the same way. They've got various words and various metaphors that they use for the same incredibly powerful act of God. So that as we look at the cross from different angles and we look at the different angles that the biblical authors are using, we see more of its power. We have more insight into this great work of God. And so that our prayer now is that we intersect powerfully with the cross that your life and my life experiences this beautiful collision as we experience all the new life that God wants to do in you because of his work on the cross. We actually started this on Easter weekend where Good Friday was looking at Jesus, our substitute. And then we went to Resurrection Sunday, Jesus, our victor. Last week, we looked at Jesus, our redemption, and today we're going to be talking about Jesus, our justification. And so to kind of introduce the topic for today, I want you to go back to a time and an uncomfortable time when you were possibly falsely accused of something. Maybe you were in high school and someone falsely accused you of trying to steal their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Or, or maybe you were accused of cheating. Or maybe you were at work and things got pretty serious and everyone was looking at you wrongly because everyone thought that you were guilty of something. Just recall those feelings. Re recall the sense of being in the spotlight with this accusation against you. So that's kind of Question one. Question two is very similar. I want you to go back to a time when you were rightly accused of something. 
you were rightly accused of, of cheating and, and someone in your work found you out or someone in your family found you out with something that possibly you were hoping was secret, was exposed right there in front of you. And this time you were guilty. Just how did you feel in those moments? One of the memories that comes to mind, um, and this is funny because my parents may very well be watching this, was when I was in primary school and every time I got a sandwich in my lunchbox that I didn't really like the topping of, I used to take the sandwich and shove it behind my bed. And you can only imagine what happened over time is those, that pile of sandwiches grew, but they also became green and stinky. And for some reason, it didn't bother me. But one day I came home from school and I was all buoyant and jumpy and bouncy and happy. I remember being in quite a good mood. I came home and there on the kitchen table was this green pile of stinky fly smothered sandwiches that I'd been stashing behind my bed for weeks if not months and there it was staring me in the face the evidence that I was guilty I had no excuses at that point in time I couldn't explain it away I was caught red-handed my I was guilty and my parents knew I was guilty And so what did that feel like when you just know that the guilt is staring you in your face and you feel sick to the stomach and you've got nowhere to turn? What are the emotions of guilt and shame that you're feeling at that point in time? So hold on to those feelings as uncomfortable as they may be right now. You see, as Christians, we understand that um, there are different portraits of God, different ways that God relates to us. We can think of God, the creator, the, the wonderful God who created this incredible world around us. We can think of God who is our father, who loves us so unconditionally. We can think of God who is a king and he is sovereign over us. And then we can think of God, our judge. Now, God of love, God of creation, Jesus, friend of sinners, Jesus turning water into wine. We love those portraits of Jesus. But God or Jesus as judge, suddenly we don't like that version of God, right? Well, let me speak into that with a question. And here's the opening question. Do we live in a just world? And what I mean by that is, according to our sense of inherent justice, do people get what they deserve? In other words, do people with good character and good ethic always get the promotion? Does the good guy always get the good girl or does the good girl always get the good guy? Does the person who works hard always succeed? Does the person who does the right things and has impeccable character always seem to move forward in life? And then on the flip side, does the person who is cheating always get caught? Does the person who is corrupt always land up in prison? Does the person who is really mean and possibly worse to the people around them always kind of get caught and restricted in life? And we know that the answer to that question is no, we do not live in a just 
world. We know that there are people who are loving and sacrificial and ethical and talented and they don't always get the promotions. Life doesn't always go their way. And then there are people who are corrupt and who are wicked and are living the high life guilt-free and are loving it and may live and die like that. So what do we do with that? Well, we've got two options. The one option is to recognize, oh, well, I feel like there should be justice in this world, but there's not. And so I need to abandon all inherent desire for some form of ultimate justice. That's option one. Option two is to recognize, well, maybe this this disposition within me that there should be some form of ultimate justice is correct. But clearly it's not happening in this world. Therefore, there must be another time, another way, another reality whereby justice is ultimately executed. And that's where we're going today. So you see, here's the thing. Not only do we have an innate desire for ultimate justice, but I think we're tired of seeing our pathetic human attempts at justice. And I don't say this politically at all. I'm just making general statements. I think we're tired of seeing unjust laws and unjust lawgivers. I think we're tired of seeing unjust systems and corruption and compromise. And you see, as parents, if you're a parent, you would know this. Again, we wear many hats. We play many roles. And sometimes we've got to play the role of judge. Now, my wife and I, we try and be intentional. We try and be equipped. We have conversations about how we're going to do this parenting thing. Um, but there are times, despite our best efforts, where I walk into a situation and I make the completely wrong judgments about whatever just went down. Point being, even the best judges in the world make mistakes. We're tired of that. And so what about our need for justice and perfect justice? Well, here's how the Bible describes its answer to our desire for these very things. One of the verses is Romans 2.16, which says, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets. That's my sins that I do. The, the things that I ought to have done that I didn't do, as well as the things of my heart and my mind and my motives. Men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now the word gospel means good news. And so Paul's pretty much saying that our need for justice is answered by Jesus Christ as judge. And that is good news. So how is it good news? Well, the Bible is giving us God as judge, as perfect judge and that every single one of us will one day stand before him and be held accountable for all these uh, sins of omission, sins of commission, as well as the sins of my heart and mind at motives. And at which stage I would imagine, especially if you're not religious, you're starting to feel uncomfortable and say, I, I don't want to be judged. In fact, maybe you're even saying, I don't need to be judged because maybe you're sitting there saying, well, you see, on average, I'm, I'm a good person. 
I try really hard to be moral and I try really hard to be nice to the people around me. And so God as judge is great when it comes to all those other wicked people out there. But for me, you know, I'm good. I think me and God, if he exists, is good. Well, let me ask every single one of you this question. Do you always, always live out your conscience. Maybe you've got some form of moral code that you try and adhere to. Maybe it is consistent with the the Bible. Maybe it's less consistent with the Bible. Regardless, those things in your mind and in your heart where you're saying, this is how people ought to live. This is how we ought to respond in certain situations. Are you always, always living that out after a bad day at work? When something's gone wrong, after disappointment, after you've been challenged, after you've been defeated, what's going on in your heart and mind? Are you always living out with 100% perfection your own set of convictions and values? And I can tell you now, I don't care who you are, the answer is of course not. Every single one of us are a far cry from living out even our own sense of morality. How much more are we falling short? of God's perfect holiness and righteousness. That's true for every single one of us, which admittedly makes us feel so uncomfortable. So welcome to church today. So glad you're here. See, but that's so often because when we talk about this kind of discussion, the fact that we are accountable for our actions to a God who will be our judge, is we often think through the lens of the offender. And when I am the offender, when I'm the one staring at the stinky green pile of my failures before someone who's holding me accountable, I want to get let off the hook. I want to be given grace. I want to be forgiven, right? But what about if we think through the lens of the offended? Imagine tonight, you wake up to some horrific sounds and it's the sounds of a bunch of people who have invaded your home and are absolutely wrecking your home and are brutally treating you and your family or or worse, wrecking apart your, your life, everything that you count valuable, especially the people you love. And and imagine that, yes, these people get caught And so the day comes when they're held before the judge and and you're there and and you're just so expecting justice. And imagine the judge says this. Listen, guys, I'm a kind, loving guy. And so I'm just going to let these people go. How would you respond in that moment? You'd say, that's not fair. There needs to be justice. You see, when we are confronted with our sins as the offender, we want grace. But when we are the offended ones, we want justice, right? Well, at the end of the day, every single one of us is going to be counted guilty. And at the end of the day, all of our sins find their mark ultimately on God. See, if you mistreat my family, ultimately, that's on me. All right, I'm going to experience the offense of that action. 
And in the same way, every time we sin against, whether it's ourselves or our families or our friends and the people around us, and we mistreat them, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, all these people are God's children, which means ultimately all of our sins are an offense against him. Think of King David who had an adulterous affair and then had to get rid of the husband, so ultimately maneuvered the guy to get killed. When he finally realized the gravity of what he had done, this is what he said. He said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. So we need to understand that God is a perfect judge. But there's another attribute of God that we have to introduce into this discussion. And that is that God is perfect love. Often people describe, well, Jesus is the New Testament loving God and the Old Testament God is this uh, unloving God. Well, listen to these verses from the book of Exodus and how they describe God in the Old Testament. The Lord, the Lord, it's Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So how do we bring these together? How do we see God as a perfect judge to whom I will one day be held accountable for the stinky green pile of my sin? And how can I see God as gracious, compassionate, perfect love? Well, this is where justification comes in. Justification is where God's love and justice meets. So how does this work? Well, one of the verses that best describe this is 2 Corinthians 5 verses 21, which says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just a few quick comments. God made him, that's Jesus Christ, who had no sin. He is the one who has been offended by every single one of our sins, small, big, medium-sized sins. He is the offended one, and yet he is the sinless one, and yet he took upon himself all of our sin on our behalf so that we might actually be made righteous. I think I've shared this story before. It's a, it's a fictional story to try and describe what's going on here. It's a story about... There's a kingdom, there's a king, and the king has some advisors. And, and one day his advisors come to him and say, listen, king, we hate to tell you, but it seems like someone is stealing uh, gold from your treasury. So the king is upset and angry and he makes his declaration and he says, listen, whoever gets found courting, uh, stealing my gold is going to receive 10 lashes. So that goes out through the kingdom and um, the advisors come to him a few days later and say, King, I hate to tell you, there's more gold that's missing from the treasury. And so the king stands up and he says, listen, if anyone's caught taking my gold, they're going to receive 20 lashes. A few days later, gold is going missing. He ups it to 30, eventually to 40 lashes. 
Some time passes and then uh, one day he's sitting in his throne room and his advisors come to him and say, King, we've got good news and bad news. The good news is we've caught the person stealing the gold. And so the king says, well, that's fantastic. That's the good news. Tell me the bad news. And his advisors start getting shifty and anxious and clearly nervous. So the king says, just tell me, tell me the bad news. And they say, well, the person who was stealing your gold is your mother. So now this king is left in a, uh, between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, I have told my nation that whoever gets caught stealing my gold is going to pay the penalty. But I also deeply love my mother. What do I do? So he thinks through this and he gets to the day when the judgment has to be executed and um, the public shows up and there is his poor old mother in the middle of this courtyard. There's the um, guy who's going to give out the punishment. And the king says, all right, here is my mother and she's been the one stealing my gold. And so she needs to get the penalty for that transgression. And so please would you hand out the 40 lashes. And the guy is like, really, do I need to do this? Yes, go ahead. But as he's about to lay down the first whip, the king stops him, takes off his robe, and then goes and puts his arms around his mother. And he says, okay, now, 40 lashes, please. Can you see what's going on there? On one hand, the king is being perfectly just. There was a transgression and a penalty had to be paid. And he wasn't going to just brush that away. On the other hand, here was a person that he deeply loved. But he wasn't allow, going to allow his mother to receive 40 lashes. And so his only solution was to receive the penalty upon himself. Perfect justice and perfect love. And that is justification. Okay, so I'm guilty before God. And I know that there's a penalty that needs to be paid. What do I need to do in order to receive this justification? And, and, and there's kind of a number of layers to the psalms. And the first one is that there is nothing you need to do in order to earn this justification. You see, justification, God acting by receiving the penalty upon himself for your sin is a free gift. Listen to what it says here in Romans 5 verses 16 to 17. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. That's the sin of Adam entering humanity. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift, the gift, the gift of eternal life and God's grace is described as a gift. The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So this gift in this verse is given to us when God justifies us. And this gift is the gift of, of his life, of his grace, of eternal life. And by definition, because it is a gift, there's nothing I can do to earn it. Recently, we've had a number of family birthdays. And so we wake up in the morning, uh, we light the candles, we sing happy birthday and we celebrate with some gifts but here's what I don't do. Hey boy, just because I gave you this gift, now you need to go wash the dishes for the next week. No. I don't expect them to earn the gifts. Maybe they've got to earn their pocket money, but not the gifts. And in the same way, 
God gives us His life and His grace in the form of a gift, which in many ways is so unfair and is so gracious because He bears the costs. That is why the gospel is described as good news. So how can I receive this gift? Well, the way the Bible answers this question is in a statement that we're going to unpack. And the Bible would say in so many ways, we are justified by faith. In other words, I receive the gift by faith. So, so what does that mean? Galatians 2.16 says, So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. You see, I have a massive passion to help people understand that the many worldviews around us are, are faulty and fractured and they may seem to hold water at some level, but when pushed, they, they really don't. That I, I recently wrote a book about that and I, I really want to try help both religious and non-religious people understand that God actually exists but let me say this, it is not enough to believe that God exists. Right? The, the demons believe. The demons know that God exists, but they're not justified. And so the question is raised, if I believe in God, belief and faith in Greek are, the, are pretty much the same word. They sound different in English, and so I'm going to use those words interchangeably. If I put my faith in God or if I put my belief in God, what does that mean? Why do I believe in God? Am I believing in Him because He's the genie who's going to make my life awesome? Or at some level, do I recognize that amongst the many things that are going on between me and Him, one of them is this. In fact, one of the most core things is this, that I am guilty before Him. And one day I will stand before him because he is a perfectly just God and there is going to be on the table in front of me a steaming green stinky fly covered pile of my sin I'm going to be guilty he knows that I'm going to be guilty and at that point what am I going to do about it what am I going to appeal to how am I going to explain that away and the only way the Bible describes that's happening is by pointing towards nothing in my life, but everything in Jesus' life. Because I've been justified and Jesus has paid the price. I want you to imagine that you're eating out at a restaurant and then you get informed that this family over there is going to pay for your bill. And so you're so grateful and, and you see it happen and then they leave and you finish up your meal. What happens when the waiter brings you the bill? Are you going to double pay? If you're generous, but that's not paying, that's just being generous. What you're actually going to do is you're going to say, listen, I'm happy to give a, a, a tip here because this is unexpected. However, this bill has been paid. So when the accuser comes to you on that day and says, well, what about this stinky sin? What about this lie? You get to say, well, I don't have to double pay. It's been paid for. What about this sin? What about this thought? What about this lie? What about this motive? What about these decisions that have impacted people around you? 
yeah, it's a problem. They need to be paid for. There's a penalty that needs to be paid. But I get to go free because Jesus has paid for them. So why do I believe in God? Why do I put my faith in him? It's because of what he has done. And so I don't just come to him so he can make my life awesome. I come to him. I put my trust in him. I put my life in his hands. I don't add him as an extra course in my life. I place everything in his hands because of how he has justified me. And he is reliable and trustworthy. I want to end off with a Bible story. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell it to you quickly. It's about two people. They're both kind of in a church-type scenario. It's actually at the temple, but it's updated 2021. And so there's two people in church. And there's one guy in the front. Man, and, and everyone knows he, who he is. He's, he's an elder or he, he's a deacon. And people see him live this moral, upright life. And he's in the front and the worship band is playing. And his arms are up. And everyone looks at him as a picture of what a Christian life looks like. But his motives are not to worship God. His motives are to be seen worshiping God. When he's generous, his motives are to be seen as generous. And so Jesus says about this man, he's not praying to God. He's praying with himself. That's the only interaction going on there. But at the back of a church, the back of the same church is a sinner. And everyone knows it. Kind of wish he wasn't there. Makes our space awkward, right? But he's so overwhelmed by his sin, not his righteousness, not his own morality, his sin. And he's so aware of the holiness of God in that moment. And so he beats his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He can't even look up to heaven. Jesus says that man, he walks away justified. So how, how do we receive this gift? We become aware in some of these sober moments of our lives. Yes, there is a stinky pile of our sins in front of us. And does it feel awesome? No, it doesn't. In fact, we are reminded that we are guilty. We may be completely overwhelmed by shame. But instead of trying to explain them away and, and create our own justification... We say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We put our faith in him with the firm knowledge that he has paid the price for my sins. And Jesus declares over me, you are the one who walks away free and justified. And my mercy and the penalty that I have paid now covers you. And now you get to walk free. Now, this is an incredible moment where many of us, we need to have this beautiful collision with God. And I don't know who you are and, and at what stage of your walk in life and faith that you are. But at some point, you need to recognize I am going to be standing before this judge one day. 
And I am trusting that your life is going to have a beautiful collision with God's. And that you experience His justification in your life. And so if that is you, I'm going to pray that you pray this prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But maybe you are a Christian. We get to preach the gospel to ourselves again and again. When the accuser comes and says, oh, you're a Christian. Well, what about these sins? We get to say, but Jesus has paid for those sins and I get to walk free. And every single day of my life, I get to live a life of gratitude because God has been perfectly just. But I get to inherit his life and his righteousness at his costs. And that should fuel the Christian life of joy and freedom. Just pray, Father. I opened up by just getting us to think of these moments where we've either been falsely accused or genuinely accused of things that we were guilty of. Maybe there are other things going on in our life that we are guilty of, but no one's accused us, but our conscience has. Our enemy has accused us. And the guilt and the shame is killing us. Father, I thank you that we can turn to you. That we can say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we can trust the good news of Jesus, the one who justifies us. So, Father, I pray for anyone who right now is having a beautiful collision with your grace. Maybe it's for the very first time. Maybe for the very first time, their their own life is falling apart at the seams as they collide with your grace. But then, Lord, you take their sin and you cover it with your body and your grace. And they're starting to right now, through your presence, experience life and grace and freedom. Father, would you seal that work right now in people's lives? Father, for anyone out there who is just once again, yes, I am a Christian. I've been following you, but I'm still being haunted by my sins, be they recent or back in the past. And I'm feeling the accusation of them against me. Lord, we thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because you have justified us. And we can say that those sins have been paid for by you and I get to stand free. So Father God, we don't have to fear the perfect judge. We also get to experience your perfect love. And I pray that to be true for every single one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.